grab your Bible and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We're back in Ephesians finally after quite a long time of not being in Ephesians. And then for a few weeks here, actually, we're going to take a break again from Ephesians. So this is the first one for a little while. And then we'll have a little break and then be back in Ephesians again. But as a reminder, the graphic slide up there helps you to remember what was the point of Ephesians. Ephesians, two halves, chapters 1 through 3 really covered rich doctrine. And those verses in Ephesians 1 through 3 are really an explanation of the entire Christian life and the rich doctrine, the study of God, who God is, what God's done for us, who Jesus is, what Jesus has done for us, who the Holy Spirit is, what the Holy Spirit is doing for us and and has done for us. That was rich doctrine. And now we're getting into the section still. We're in chapter 4. 4 through 6 are the rich living portion of the book. The rich living that's found in the Christian life. How can we, as followers of Jesus, live in a way where we embrace the fact that God has made us richer than the world around us simply by the fact that we know and believe and follow him. And so there's some rich living guidelines. There's some rich living help. There's some rich living tips in Ephesians chapter 4 today that we want to embrace and take a look at. And so you have your Bible and you're there with me, Ephesians chapter 4. Before I get to Ephesians 4 and read the scripture, I wanted to show you some pictures of some garbage. This is a picture taken from a landfill of a pile full of garbage and rotting debris and plastic wrappers and I see a lot of foil and I see lots of bottles and I see lots of paper, old decomposing paper in there. It's just a pile of our trash. A bunch and bunch of our Trash, And then this picture shows you a bigger, wider scale of a landfill. And that big, heavy machinery is moving and scooping. And I don't know why they would be doing that. Some of you do. I think it helps to stir up and decompose and help that process to continue for some of the trash that's in there. But that is a big pile and mound of old, dirty trash in the trash dump. One of my least favorite parts of driving to Grand Rapids is driving by the trash dump on 131. It stinks, and I, do, I don't like that part of the trip. I know it's coming. I mean, I'm not going to give up driving to Grand Rapids, but if, I, if someone wants to tell me after service, Pastor, there's an exit you can take that gets you around that, and it might take you an extra 10 minutes, but let me know. Maybe there's a good shortcut, you Michiganders who are faithful to uh, Everett and Grand Rapids know, and I'd love to take that sometimes, especially in the summertime. Wow, it's really stinky on that stretch of the road, and you all know what I'm talking about going that way. This is one of those moments that in life we as people make so much trash. We consume items, we go through things, we, we cause, we have a lot and a lot and a lot of trash. And what's interesting about it is that trash starts out something more, I get it, let's see, more like these, more like these pictures, um, like this. 
That trash comes from, where does it come from? It comes from the delivery truck, and it lands on your front step, and you make sure you shovel the front step really good so that way the package person can leave the packages in a good dry spot so that way it doesn't get too wet and too out of control. Your package doesn't get all messed up, or if it's something nice you're expecting or no that's coming. You, we have trucks like this in America. It blows my mind when you see all of those delivery trucks driving around and they're dropping off packages, they're dropping off pieces of mail, they're dropping off things. And what eventually happens is it ends up in here. Eventually, someday, all of that ends up in the landfill. And so at a time, it might seem really exciting to get your brand new package from Amazon and take it in your hand. But eventually, and very quickly, the box lands in the landfill or maybe in your burn bin or maybe wherever you put it. And the recycling, maybe some of you put that there, but it's quick. It's not very long. But things turn from new to old but very rarely in this life do you see a time where something old becomes something new. Something old like this goes and becomes something new. Something wanted, something desired, something helpful to people. Something that matters and makes a difference. And of course, recycling is really powerful. They have good things, but it's not the exact same. It's not the same feeling if I told you, yeah, I got this present for you at Christmas time. Oh, great. Where'd you get it? Well, I went to the local landfill and I dug through and I found some stuff and it was, you know, I can't believe they got rid of that. It's just nice. And, and here it is. And you got it and it was kind of worn and tattered. And maybe later on after I left your house, you just kind of like there was a smell coming off of your Christmas present I had given you. It's not quite the same. It's not quite the same to take something old and make it new. But the interesting thing this morning we're going to see and we're going to learn about is the old life that Jesus takes from us. The old life that he takes from us, and as the sermon is titled this morning, out with the old, in with the new. Jesus Christ actually does something that's, not, that's very rare in the trash industry. He takes old sinful, trash-filled people like us. And he does something new and incredible and amazing in our lives. And that's, that's the difference. Salvation is a total life transformation. So actually the difference between salvation and death for a believer in Jesus is that death, it's not that big of a transition. You go, if you believe in Jesus, when you die, you go to heaven to be with your king who you've already been serving. But salvation for a believer, for someone new, salvation is a huge transformation because it takes you from that old, dump, landfill lifestyle and it puts you into something new and amazing and beautiful. And Paul is going to take a look and emphasize that total life transformation that we see because of Jesus. Our last sermon in Ephesians was all about the gifts given for the church. Today's passage covers the new life that's available for those in the church who love the Lord. But in order to get to the new, we first have to sift through the old. So grab Ephesians 4 with me. Look at chapter 4 verse 17 and we'll read the whole passage and come back. 
So I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their thinking, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality as so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul's going to this morning tell and emphasize tell and emphasize us. He uses two terms to start out in verse 17. I tell you this and I insist on this. I tell you something and I insist on it. He is stressing that point. I could tell you something. I'd like to tell you something. There was a a game yesterday and team A beat team B. And it was a a really important thing. Or I could tell you. I got to tell you something and I insist that you listen to me. It's so important. Team A beat team B yesterday. And you you could tell when I was talking to you about that, that that was more important to me. Paul's using that language. He's using language here to open up their eyes. And I'm going to tell you this and I insist that you listen. It's not just that I'm speaking. It's not just that I'm telling you something. I'm telling you something important. And I insist that you pay attention. You might be Gentiles. You might be Gentile believers. These Ephesians, they weren't Jews, most of them. They didn't come from a religious background where they knew the Lord. They didn't come from a religious background where they really knew the promises of the Messiah. They didn't come from a religious background where they knew the Old Testament. They were new to salvation. They were new to faith. They had never heard of Jesus. And he says to them, you might be Gentile believers here, but you are not to live like the pagan people all around you. The godless people that are all around you. So he emphasizes to them, in verses 17 and 19, the old life. And the first thing that he wants to point out to them about the old life, when he's telling them and insisting they know, what's the old life like for you, Ephesians? What's the old life like for you, Calvary Baptist Church, this morning? What was the old life like before you knew Jesus as your Savior? What was the old life like? Well, one thing it was, was aimless thinking. Verse 17, I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in futility of their thinking. That word futile refers to a useless act or a useless gesture. Paul says, you know what the, how, the, how the Gentiles live is with futile thinking. 
useless thinking. Useless thinking, if I told you that, something that's useless to you has no purpose, has no aim, it has no goal, it has no meaning. It's just like the pile of trash. There's that saying, of course, that one man's trash is another man's treasure, but I pretty much guarantee you, if you sifted through my trash can, you're not going to find too many treasures very often in there. <laughs> you find a lot of dirty diapers right now. You'll find some food scraps, maybe. You'll find lots of old junk mail that gets landed in there. You'll find things that we've thrown out. You're not going to find treasures. Usually, we're good about donating anything that's good and useful still. So the things we throw out have no goal. They have no purpose. They have no aim. And Paul is warning the church in Ephesus... This is what the old life was like. The old life for you, including you, who are now believers in Jesus Christ, your old life was futile in thinking. It was aimless, pointless. There was no goal. There was no aim. Your life had no purpose. How curious it would be if we could know the mind of every unbeliever around us. The people that you love and that don't know Jesus, I think it'd be so fascinating to know what their mind, what the inner working of their mind was doing. And what you would likely find is when it comes to how they should live their life and the things that they should do and the things they decide what to do, what you would likely find is at the bottom of their mind, the core of who they are, they would not know what they were living for. Of course, some days of their life, they might really feel like they were living for their career. And so I'm going to be a teacher, and I'm going to live to teach, and I'm going to live to help other, other kids, and I'm going to live for that. But then the decisions that they make after work might have nothing to do reflecting with that decision to be a teacher. So you could say, well, they have some aim, they think they have an aim, but their life in general is aimless. You could talk about the people around you and say, what, what do you live for? What's the ultimate goal and purpose of your life? They might say, well, for money. If I live to get wealthy. Well, they might say, well, I live for my family. You know, I just want to be a good family person. I live for my family and I, that's my goal. But the interesting thing is, there are very few people that you meet that have full purpose in their life that are aimed at something, they have a goal, they keep their focus on that. The world pulls us in so many directions. And Paul is pointing that out. You know what? It's, it, as Gentiles, before you knew Jesus, you were filled with this aimless type of thinking where one day you're doing this, another day you're doing that, you're changing, every, you're changing your mind, you're changing your actions, you're changing what you do. You just live a purposeless life. And your thinking is aimless. That's the old life. That's one of the facts of the old life. Paul points out to them. The next fact that he says is obviously, well, if you have aimless thinking, goalless thinking, another problem in the old life is then you have bad understanding. If you don't know what you think about the world and the world around you, the, the, what to believe about 
the truth and what to believe about what's false and what to believe about what you're going to do for each day. If you have aimless thinking inside, then you're going to have a bad understanding of the world around you. You're going to have a bad understanding of the things that you have. You're going to have a bad understanding, especially of Jesus Christ and the real purpose to this life. Look at verse 18. They have a bad understanding. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. It kind of starts with the hardening of their hearts and moves backwards for me. How I best understand that is, you know what? The aimless thinking led to their hearts being hard. They don't know what they live for. So there's built up all this crust around their heart because they don't know what's good. They don't know what's true. They don't know what's best. In our old life, we didn't know what was true, what was good, what was best. Of course, sometimes you would fall upon those things by accident. But a majority of the time, you see the world around us. You see the church in Ephesus as they saw the world around them. It was a pagan paradise. So when Paul's talking to them, he says, you know what? The world around you, the aimless thinking around you, it's dark. It is dark. And their hearts are hard. They instantly knew what he meant. You know what? For this church in Ephesus, we don't fully understand the age of these believers, but they were certainly coming to faith in Jesus a lot older than we, we have or some of you have or some of you will. Probably many of you have come to know Jesus at an earlier age. Maybe not. Maybe some of you have a story in which you've come to know Jesus later in life. Maybe some of you are sitting here right now and you still yet need to know Jesus as your Savior. Paul would point out here, he's pointing out to this church in Ephesus, they've lived a long time without knowing Jesus, who he was what the point of their life should be, what the aim of their life should be, what the goal of all human existence is, they've not understood. And so he tells them, at that time in your life, you were darkened in your understanding. Somewhere in the crowd, if Paul was preaching this sermon out loud, they, someone would say, amen. Yeah, I was. I, I was so dark in my understanding. I had no clue about the world around me, about God, about the universe, about how it truly worked. He goes on, he says, You're darkening, you are darkened under your understanding and you are separated from the life of God. If Paul's preaching that part of the sermon to the church, I have to imagine if he says that, someone in the church audience starts to cry. I was separated from the life of God because I didn't know Jesus. Probably someone would have been moved to tears in the hearing of this letter. That was me. Yeah, that's me. I was there once. All of us have been. Separated from the life of God because the ignorance that is in you due to the hardening of your hearts. Someone was thinking, yep, I had a, such a hard heart for the gospel. I had such a hard heart for those around me. I had such a hard time loving my neighbor. I had such a hard time loving the truth 
I had a, such a hard time doing what was right. That was my old life. I had bad understanding. God's revelation, knowing him though, could guide their conduct, but they didn't have the understanding of God. And Paul is reminding them, you didn't have the understanding. You didn't have the revelation. You didn't know who God was. And so your understanding of the world around you, it was broken too. It was broken too. The portion, this portion is understanding of morals and the moral and the spiritual broken. They didn't understand what to think about what was good or bad. They didn't understand what to think about who God was. It was broken. They had become darkened in their hearts. I'm sure I have pastoral phrases that over the years I'll continue to say to you and you'll hear from me from time to time as a good reminder, but it's just such a good reminder. My pastor in Chicago used to say, and my, one of my professors and a good mentor to me, he used to say a lot at church, you know what? I'm not surprised when bad things happen. Because this world is dark. This world is hard. This world is painful. This world, if you don't have Jesus as your savior and you have an aim and you don't have the understanding of the world around you and what you're supposed to be doing, it's a terrible place. So he used to say, I'm not surprised when bad things happen. What I'm surprised is that more bad things don't happen. I'm surprised that there's any good at all among those who are aimless thinking and have bad understanding like I once had. Like you once have had in your life. If you don't know Jesus, you don't know the plans, you have aimless thinking, you have bad understanding. And it leads then to exactly what my, my pastor had talked about. It leads to moral corruption. It leads to moral corruption. Verse 19, Paul says, Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. This is a message he is intentionally preaching about them. This was once you, but also this is the world around you. Wake up and see it. This is the world around you right now having lost all sensitivity They've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. Some of you, if you didn't see that was a verse in the Bible and I just sent that out in an email and said, where do you think this quote might be from? You might think it might be from a famous pastor talking about our United States world that we live in today. You might not realize it was a Bible verse. You might think that, oh yeah, some pastor is making a comment there about the world around us today. Just as easily you can hear it from maybe one of those famous pastors that we like to listen to, like David Jeremiah in Sunday school. You could hear him saying, yep, the world around us has lost all sensitivity. They've given themselves over to every 
sensual thing. They indulge in every type of impure, nasty, terrible thing. The world around us is full of greed. So Paul says, this is, this is what's happened. They have no sensitivity to the world around them. And once you lose the sensitivity to the world around you, once you lose sensitivity to the fact that who you are matters, what you do matters, when you've lost that, why wouldn't you be selfish? Why wouldn't you live your life for yourself? Why wouldn't you give yourself over to every type of impurity? There's no point. There's no aim. There's no purpose. So they were morally corrupt. I talked about this in the opening. I even talked about it a little bit this morning. But I, opened, I talked about this in the opening message of our Ephesians series way back last year, 2023, in the middle of the year. But the city of Ephesus and the surrounding area was extremely pagan. They had all kinds of idols and false gods and horrific things happening on the street that would be seen publicly by your family as you walked up and down the street. Horrible places of sin and evil and debauchery that were right there public that you could look into and easily inviting you in. It was a horrible place. And as a matter of fact, it had a large temple to a false god. So it was kind of, in that time, historically important. People came there to Ephesus to do evil worship to a false god and all kinds of horrific things. How do you know? You know, your pastor. How do you know that was a false god? Just the list of the types of things that that God required of them to do were all evil. I could get a room of anybody in the world and list off the types of things they were doing in that area to their God and say, does this sound good to you or sound like a bad thing? And anybody would say, that's horrible. I can't believe a God would require that. That's no God at all. Because the God they had promotes aimless thinking, bad understanding, and moral corruption. And they had come from that life. They had come from that lifestyle. And so every day, these newly converted Christians had to leave church service on Sunday morning like we have, and they had to go out from church, and they didn't get into their car and drive home. Maybe occasionally they had an animal they might have ridden on. But no matter what, they had to go into their streets of their towns and see all of the old sinful practices they used to live in. They had to walk by their friends, the people they used to know in their former life. They had to walk by all these bad influences. Yes, even as an adult, obviously, you have, there's bad influence that they had. They had to go by their new believers in Jesus, and Paul is warning them. He's putting this piece in here on purpose because he knows that they are going to walk past those places, those people, those sites, those images, those reminders of their horrible past lives. 
Maybe you've followed the Lord your whole life, but some haven't. Paul is speaking to the whole church. But this group in particular needs that reminder. Don't go back to the old life. Don't go back to the old ways. Don't go back to the old stuff you used to do, the old stuff you used to like, the old stuff you used to say before you knew Jesus, the old things you used to think, the old things you used to look at, get involved with. Don't go back to those old places you know will drag you down. Don't hang out with the kind of people that have those bad life habits. Those old life habits might take you down the, back down the path of aimless thinking, bad understanding, and moral corruption. Those things Paul's addressing here should be done. Ignore them. Throw them out. Get them out. But how? How can we look away from the old life? He's going to teach us about the new life. About the new life. Starting in verse 20. That, however, is not the way of life you learned. The first thing Paul points out, you know what? At one time, you were lost in that, but you learned something new, and when you learned that new thing, it was because you learned it. You don't you know, I can tell you Jesus is the Savior of the world. Jesus is the Savior of the world. I could come every Sunday, and I do say that a lot on Sundays, as a matter of fact, but you could come every Sunday and hear me say that, but that doesn't mean you learned it. You don't learn it until you make it personal. You don't learn that until you make it personal. And Paul is saying, you've made that personal in your life. You've learned that, however, is not the way of life you learned. You've learned something else. And what you've learned is a new personal relationship. A new relationship. A new life. After you started following Jesus, something else came true. And what, the, what is the personal relationship of? What are some of the things that are of a personal relationship? So it's one and it's a list of all these things that are under a personal relationship in the new life. The first thing is hearing good teaching. Verse 21. That's not however, well verse 20. That however is not the way of life you learned. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Hopefully you've had good teaching and you were taught that the former ways of life are worthless. The unsaved man is spiritually ignorant. While the Christian is intelligent of the things in the going on in the world around him or her. And the unsaved man does not know Christ. But the believer grows in his personal knowledge, his or her personal knowledge of Jesus Christ, day by day. Day by day, it's a commitment to hear good teaching. Not just hear it from, from another person, but hear it from God's word itself. 
Are you pouring over? Are you hearing Paul's that? asking them. You've learned this new about Christ. When you heard about Christ and you were taught in him, when you've been taught in him with the truth that is in Jesus, things have changed. Christ is the answer. You heard of Christ and you are taught about Christ. And when you found out about Christ, that old way of life made no more sense anymore or it shouldn't have. In Christ, you were taught the truth. Because Jesus Christ is the truth. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's the truth. So we need to hear good teaching. Paul's encouraging them. Hear good teaching about the truth. When you heard about Christ and you were taught in him, accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. He's the truth. He's the truth. And the part of the truth that Jesus shares then is to put away the old self. Verse 22. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Do you realize the scripture right here is reminding you all something very important? When you accepted Jesus as your Savior, from that moment forward, you weren't going to just be perfect. It wasn't like you were going to be sinless. It wasn't like that all of a sudden sin was removed from who you are and all those sin habits and hobbies and things that you had were just going to disappear and vanish immediately. There is a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit that happens when he comes into your life, when the Holy Spirit grips your heart. There are a lot of things that go away. And there are a lot of things that God helps you and gives you strength over and can help you to have power and authority to say no to Satan and yes to God. But not everything overnight just disappears. And this verse is teaching that. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. There's kind of a process. You can't just, you can't just throw it in the dump like we can. It's kind of a process. As a matter of fact, our trash is kind of a process. It goes first to my trash can. And then eventually when that trash can gets so full and we're tired of shoving things down on top of it to try to get it out, it's still in there. It's still a process. It's still in my house. And there's a process. And I bag it up and I carry it out and I put it into the trash bin. And that's a process. And then from the trash bin, you have to wheel it out to the side of the curb and you put it by the side of the road. That's a process. And then from there, you get to watch with Graham on a really good day. You get to watch and see what the trash man comes with Graham. And he loves it. And he goes, Graham, come here. The trash man's here. And he runs to the window and I'm sure all of you have that experience or have had that with kids and they just like can't take their eyes off the whole time and love to see the trash and then that's a process you're a process with Graham a process where we watch the trash and guess what the process isn't done the trash truck still has to finish its route and it still has to go to the dump where the trash lies forever there's a process we can't just put off our old self immediately there is a gift from the Lord in which some senses a lot of it leaves, but there still is a process which our old self was corrupted by its deceitful desires and we're to put those things off. He's warning. Put away the old self. Turn to the new. Take off those old self-centered lusts. Take away those deceitful desires of the flesh. Take away those things that promise joy but never give joy. Take those things off. Get rid of that old life. 
take off, put away the old self. And work towards a renewed mind. Verse 23. He encourages them. Verse 23. To be made new in the attitude of your minds. Your new mind needs to take control. That new mind of Christ... Their minds are no longer darkened. Their lives are no longer alienated from God. Their hearts are no longer hardened or impure. And Paul wants them to know that. You have a new life. You don't have that old, crusty, darkened, terrible, deceived heart you had anymore. You have a new life. Your mind isn't lost. John 17, 17 says... Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. To be made new in the attitudes of your minds, one of the best things you could possibly do is to be sanctified by the truth of God's word. To know him. To dive into that relationship. To have a renewed mind. Ephesians verse two, chapter 2, verses 4 through 6 reminded us, reminds us of something very important. And it's the next point in the outline for this morning from verses 23 and 24. That we need to use our new life daily. We need to use that new life daily. And if you look back at Ephesians 2, 4 through 6, this is what? It says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. Even when we were dead in the old life, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Right now, somehow through the working of the Holy Spirit in you and Jesus in heaven, this was one of those gifts we talked about when, we, when I preached that sermon from Ephesians 2. Some part of you has the ability that you are with Christ, seated with him in heaven, that your new mind, new, new spirit of who you are, Jesus Christ is with you and you are with him and together we have unity and that that is why we can use our daily new life. You have, you have become a citizen of heaven. You're no longer just a part of the world. What the world wants, the selfish ways of the world around you. You're no longer, Paul is reminding them when you walk through the streets, you're no longer part of that. This is what hope you have. You're no longer part of that. You're a new person. Each day as you wake up, you can wake up with the reassurance, I belong to Christ. He is mine and I am his. Heaven is my home. I live for him. If the new self is put on, the old corrupted self must be laid aside. This morning in Sunday school... We talked to the teenagers, so now the teenagers that were in Sunday school, which is most of them that are in this room right now, they ought to be able to tell you a little bit about what the word sanctification means. 
If you've been in church a while, you might know what sanctification means, but this is what it means. It means putting off the old life and putting on the new. It's a process that Jesus uses to make us more like him. It's a process by which over the years of faithful walking with Jesus, you grow to love him more. But that just doesn't happen by just sitting around. That doesn't happen by just, well, now I'm a Christian, so automatically God's going to help me grow in him. No, there's work to be done. And Paul is reminding them, and he would want to remind us, this is something that is, this is a daily process. This takes daily work. We have to daily remind ourselves, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. Thanks to Jesus living in, living through me. Take off those dirty rags. Put on the new beautiful clothing to remind you what Christ has done. I, I just want to tell you this. I, I don't know, the Lord just laid on my heart my own past this morning. I thought of my, old, my church in Chicago twice this morning. Back at the church in Chicago, I know I've actually shared this one other time in church, but again, it's what you think of when you think of reminding yourself. Back in the church in Chicago, there was a banner on the wall when we first got there, and it stayed up most of the time that we attended there. And when they took it down, I don't know, maybe I should reach out to the pastors I still, and, and ask them for that banner, see if they still have it, and see if they'd give it to me. Because it was, it was from Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. Just a piece of that verse. Just a piece of that verse. And this was the piece that was up on the back wall of the church that every time you're looking at church, you saw this. It said, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And maybe you'll think I'm silly for saying this, or maybe you'll understand completely, but I spent a lot of Sunday mornings emotional and happy staring at that verse on the wall in our church because I, I knew the past is in the past. Who I once was, Jesus forgave. The past no longer defines who I am. And I've made a lot of mistakes in my past. And I've done a lot of things I'm not proud of. And I've done a lot of things I wish I had never done. But I'm not defined by my past anymore. Because I have Jesus. I have Jesus. But I'm not going to give up either. doesn't mean I can just forget the past. It also means I have to press forward. Draw closer to him. Love my relationship with him more. That he would sanctify me by his word. He's the truth. He's the way. He's the life. So we turn and we run to Jesus. Look at the, the closing thought I have for you. 
In future weeks, we will look at specific areas where the new habits will replace the old ones. The next passage of scripture, when we're there in about three weeks from now, when we look at it, there are specific new habits that replace old habits. This was more general. He's generally talking the old life is gone, the new life is on. And in the future in Ephesians 4, he's going to talk about those specific habits. But for this week, we need a reminder We serve a God who has forgiven you completely at the cross. He bore the penalty and wrath of your old sins, your old sinful life, and your old sinful thinking on the cross. You are his. He helps make you new. The Holy Spirit is doing a work of sanctification in you. And that is worth trading all of the riches in the world to get. You've been given a rich new life in Christ. Make it a daily goal to say, out with the old, in with the new. Bow in a word of prayer with me. Lord, there is nothing more freeing than this passage to me. That you have taken what was old in my life, what was nasty in my life, what you've taken, what I've done that was wrong, and you've forgiven it at the cross. And you want me to walk in a new rich life with you. There's nothing more powerful than that. The world is dark. The things we've done in our past, the old life we used to have, was sinful and fallen. But the new life is beautiful and glorious. And it's because of you and what you've done. Father, I do pray and ask this morning. There's someone in here who needs this reminder the most. All of us need this reminder. The past doesn't define us. Our old self is gone. Through you, you help us become more like Christ. So help us, Lord. Wash us and remind us that we are free from sin and we're a part of heaven with you. It's in Jesus' name I pray this morning. Amen.